Okay, welcome to Sing Second Sports, our weekly podcast for Navy fans, by Navy fans, covering the ins and the outs of Naval Academy sports, what's happening this week, what's on the horizon. I am your host, John Schofield, former Naval Academy PAO and constant Navy fan. I'm joined, as always, by Ward Carroll, class of 82, who shot a very uh, unmotivated class of 83, uh, 83 on the golf course yesterday, uh, which was very fun. And we're uh, joined also by our special guest, Bill Wagner of the Capital Gazette. Thank you, as always, for joining us. Uh, this is now pod number five, and uh, I'll tell you what, we're just enjoying the heck out of doing this. Let's get right to it. Uh, it's been a busy week in uh, Naval Academy football, um, particularly with regard to the current roster and what it might look like in the upcoming season, if there is an upcoming season. Uh, Wags, you just had uh, an article on the Capital Gazette about yet another Naval Academy football player entering into the transfer portal. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, yeah, it's an odd situation. Three of the players who have entered the transfer portal for Navy football are at the same position. In fact, they're the top three players at the position. Jake Springer was a starter last year and had an outstanding season statistically, led Navy in tackles for loss and sacks. Well, he announced in mid-March that he was transferring, and that's, you know, he's not coming back. He's been removed from the roster. We're hearing that Jake Springer is going to land at Michigan, and the connection there is Sean McGee, who was the former Navy football recruiting coordinator, and he's now in that same role at Michigan, so I'm no doubt he's the one that's providing the recommendation to Coach Jim Harbaugh on Jake Springer. But I'm waiting any day to hear that that is finalized. I'm pretty sure Jake's, Jacob Springer is going to end up at Michigan. Then Chellen Garns was an interesting case. He had an outstanding freshman season, a very promising player, a local product, North Point High School in Charles County. Uh, when Jake Springer, when it was the coaching staff realized Springer was not coming back, they identified Chellen Garns, who played safety in 2019, as an ideal candidate to move into that striker role. The position we're talking about is a hybrid outside linebacker position known as striker. In the American Athletic Conference, which everybody throws the ball, Navy has in essence gone to a defense where they have a constant nickel back. So the outside linebacker position known as striker is a hybrid position in which that person needs to be like a defensive back and be able to cover receivers downfield. He's also utilized to rush the passer on blitz situations. So Chellen Garns was going to move in that role. Well, Chellen entered the transfer portal. Then he pulled his name out. And last week, he re-entered the transfer portal. Now, this week, that left Tony Brown Jr., who he started three games at striker last season, um, was the backup to Jacob Springer. Now, Tony Brown has entered the transfer portal. So that's... Three, the three top players at one position, all announcing their intention to transfer from the Naval Academy. So I, I don't remember really ever, and and I, I I like to say that I follow Naval Academy sports pretty closely, but 
I haven't heard the words transfer portal uh, associated with any Navy program as much as we have this past offseason. It's almost like, you know, Maryland basketball uh, in terms of references to transfer portals. So it, what do you think, you know, from your perspective, wh- what do you think, uh, you know, is the uh, is the impetus for this? Um, yeah, and, and really, if there is a season coming up, like how damaging do you think that these personnel moves are? Well, since the NCAA transfer portal was initiated, we're seeing more and more athletes enter. It's become easier to transfer. Um, they've made it a lot uh, simpler because you put your name in there and everyone in the country can see that you want to transfer. But as it relates to Navy, I have a theory on that. I think this is directly related to pandemic and the fact that the midshipmen are not at the Naval Academy. Younger football players on the team freshmen and sophomore, all think about leaving the academy. That's just natural. I mean, it's not fun, especially your first and second year. However, when you are at the Naval Academy and you have your teammates monitoring you and the coaching staff monitoring you, they can kind of counsel you and say, look, you don't want to do this. You've got a world of future ahead of you. And I know for a fact that numerous potential transfers have been nipped in the bud by proper counsel from older teammates and the coaching staff, and you do not have that. They're at home with their friends and their family in their ear telling them they can go to the NFL. They don't want to be at the Naval Academy. They got the wrong influences, in my opinion. And if they were here at the Naval Academy – because you know the older players here, what younger players are disgruntled, having trouble, whatever, and they help them through, and that's not happening in this situation, in my opinion, John. So, Wags, is this the first to, to pony on John's point about the number this year? Is this the first transfer since – who's the guy who went to Notre Dame, the defensive back who went to Notre Dame a few years ago? Who am I thinking of? Aloe Gilman, and really that's the last – high-profile transfer that Navy's had, someone who was a Division One to Division One transfer. Um, there's always younger players in the program who are buried on the depth chart that leave school after their sophomore year, and you never hear of them. This is the first year that I can remember, Ward, in which pro- notable high-profile players are entering the transfer portal. That, that would be my answer. Okay. I, I love your logic. I think that's right on. Uh, for why there could be more this year. Um, break, break, John. The next thing that, that Wags wrote about was the fact that uh, Malcolm Perry uh, is not going to get commissioned, right? So uh, this is a detail associated with being part of the NFL draft um, that maybe some of us, including me, were unaware of. Um, so that that's an interesting in the alumni circles, as we've discussed before about commitment and so forth, just understanding that technically – he is not a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps. Um, that's it. That was an interesting item there. So I don't know if there's any other light you can shed on that one, Wags, or, or any of the discussion topics around that. Yes, I've written about it when I've written about the new pro sports policy. And just to quickly summarize, President Donald Trump was the one who ordered the Department of Defense to create a new policy that would enable service academy graduates to go immediately into the professional ranks in whatever sport they choose. The caveat this time, which has made it different than any policy I've heard 
before as it relates to service academy athletes and the professional sports is that they will not commission. So, you know, the Joe Cardona, they basically claimed that Joe Cardona was serving simultaneous to playing for the New England Patriots, which, you know, stretches the imagination. He was supposedly assigned to the Naval Academy Prep School, and he worked there at the same time he was working out with the Patriots. So I think, frankly, this is an attempt to stop that somewhat uh, ambiguous charade. And so they're not commissioning them. They are basically saying when you're done pursuing professional sports, then we will commission you, then you'll become an officer. So technically, and Chris Cervello actually was the one who tipped me off about this and it proved to be correct. Technically, Malcolm Perry is still a midshipman. And when he is formally approved for this pro sports policy, which we fully expect, and he'll be allowed to try to make the Miami Dolphins roster. What surprised me, he's going to be classified as an E4, which, help me out, guys, is that, what is that in the Marine Corps, an E4? Corporal, Corporal I think. Corporal. Yeah. So I saw some social media responses to my article about Malcolm not commissioning, in which people were surprised that without – you know, he's at, in essence in the in the reserves, the Marine Corps reserves, and he's a corporal, which I guess is a fairly high rank. So David Robinson was the admiral, and so Malcolm will be the corporal. <laughs> Built-in nickname. It's it's beautiful. Well, so remind, what happened to Keenan? Do we know? Was he commissioned at, at, at graduation, or what, what was that all about? Yeah, so um, I, I was there when Cardona and Keenan um, – both were going through this process and Ray Mavis, the secretary of the Navy at the time, played a very integral role in this and was a huge supporter of Naval Academy football and knew that Bill Belichick really wanted Joe Cardona and that Keenan Reynolds was a very integral part of the success of the program. And so they worked with those two uh, with the assistance of Chet and the athletic department and Admiral Carter, the superintendent, in order to get them some kind of a deal. Uh, by which they uh, were commissioned, but could also pursue their sports uh, dreams. So uh, Keenan was commissioned uh, actually in the information warfare community, um, you know, crypto and Intel for uh, those not necessarily familiar with that terminology. But, but yeah, they both essentially got the same deal. Um, I'm not as sure what community Joe Cardona joined or what his designator was or still is, but but yeah, that's the uniqueness of the new policy in that it it states specifically that you can graduate, but you do not get commissioned. And then you'll work with your service secretary in order to determine your payback at the conclusion of the pursuit of your sports dream. I will continue to submit that it is, I think, a short-sighted or narrow-sighted policy in that yeah, that makes sense for sports that have the draft before commissioning. But, you know, for Major League Baseball, who has the Major League Baseball draft every year, the first week of June, you, you now have that, that very odd period of time that, you know, it's after the, the regular commissioning date for the Naval Academy, which is always the Friday before Memorial Day. And then you wait until that person gets drafted in order to make a determination on, on them getting commissioned, or maybe you commission them conditionally. Um, but, you know, if there ever is another David Robinson, um, 
you know, or a basketball player who gets drafted into the NBA, or if there's another baseball player on Coach Costi's team that, that has an opportunity to play professional sports, the, the, the policy isn't necessarily geared very well for them and that there's this like middle ground period where they're in no man's land. So definitely, uh, definitely food for thought and, and we'll see, we'll see what the, uh, you know, what the, how the policy plays out for Malcolm and what happens uh, here in the very near future in terms of the granting of his requests and, uh, and then his pursuit of a, of a spot with the Miami dolphins. Uh, definitely good conversation. And, um, and we'll try to keep our listeners updated as we go forward. We are going to go to break. Uh, when we return, we'll, uh, we'll be back with our alumni segment and we're going to talk to Jason Salata, class of 1994 and water polo player and his brother, Steve Salata, class of 1997, and also a water polo player. You are listening to Sing Second Sports. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest, Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at WeSingSecond. That's at we sing second. Now back to the pod. All right, welcome back to Sing Second Sports. Uh, we are talking to uh, two very decorated alumni uh, from the days of yore at the U.S. Naval Academy. Captain Jason Salata. He is the class of 1994 at the Naval Academy. He played varsity water polo all four years. Uh, he's continued his naval career after starting off as a surface warfare officer. He laterally transferred to the public affairs community, if I may say, the most hardcore community that exists in the Navy. And he is currently stationed in southern Italy as a spokesman for NATO. Also joining Jason Salata is his brother, Steve Salata. He's class of 1997, uh, also a varsity water polo player for all four years, served as a surface warfare officer and has now moved on to Comcast, where he is a senior executive and living in the Philly area. Uh, Jason and Stevie, thanks so much for joining the podcast. How are you doing? Great. Fantastic, John. Thank you so much for having us uh, having us here and especially uh, giving us a chance to talk a little bit about, about water polo and some of the great things coming in Navy water polo in, in particular. I'll, I'll let uh, my my better looking little brother get started and then uh, maybe we could talk a little bit and answer some of your questions, but uh, over to you, Steve-O. You know, following in your footsteps, Jay, Jason is is still, even though Bobby Lee, the current star of Navy Waterpolo's team, would think he's the greatest player in Foothill High School history. Jason, in my mind, even though he was number six in your scorebook, he was number one in my heart as the best ever, JP. Uh, he both, uh, you know, went to Naval Academy, uh, played under Coach Mike Schofield, uh, had a tremendous uh, uh, opportunity to play in several NCAA championship tournaments, and then watch that program, that really lasting, powerful program that Mike built uh, through a lot of hard work and through a lot of discipline. And I always was really impressed uh, with Mike's ability to drive uh, and build a great program. Uh, as a water polo player myself, I think Mike didn't uh, understand the pure magic in my game uh, while I was at the Naval Academy. And he didn't play me as much as anyone uh, should, would have, uh, what should have been uh, really one of the greatest careers ever. Uh, I could have uh, uh, surpassed Louis Nicolau uh, uh, really as one of the greatest players in Navy history. 
but the good news is I have scored a lot more goals in my alumni career in the alumni games than I did in my uh, career under Schofield. Again, all because Schofield just didn't realize pure magic, pure kind of uh, uh, white chocolate Jason Williams or Harold Miner type game uh, in water polo. So Steve's, Steve's humility is, you know, uh, only surpassed by his length of, of, of his hair compared to mine. But I think what's really interesting is when you, when you look at the 90s, right? So when we, when we played, um, you know, and we were blessed, I think, one of the commonalities and why I think it's special to have us both on here, other than the fact that I was upper mediocre and Stevie was uh, outstanding in our play, is that we both not only – got to know Schofield really well and he brought us into the program but we also got to to uh, know Louis Nicolaus very well and in fact uh, remain very closely connected with him both of us we, we were glad to kind of be here and, and uh, answer some questions that you guys might have and uh, you know maybe back over to you John if there's anything you have yeah I'll I'll start it off before uh, before Ward jumps in um, you know I I would first ask both of you to sort of characterize what the physical mission um, of the Naval Academy uh, gave you or allowed you to do as you've gone forward in both of your careers, um, both as surface warfare officers, um, you know, and now Jason, you still in the Navy and Stevie, you doing very well uh, out in the civilian community with Comcast. We always said when I was the PAO there that, you know, it was the physical mission. It was upon the fields of friendly strife that, that sowed the seeds of victory for you and your careers. Um, what did water polo, you know, give you or, or impart upon you as a lesson that you've applied to your, uh, to your respective careers so far? Yeah, I'll start. And, you know, I think that uh, it really built this level of discipline that I've carried throughout, throughout both my military career leading combat ready teams and also through my civilian career where there's a lot of weak and undisciplined people that don't crush it every day, uh, like the Naval Academy. Um, but I think, you know, it, it's that grounding in being absolutely uh, demoralized by Mr. Schofield in the uh, McDonough Hall pool that has really uh, enabled me to deal with a lot of shenanigans and tomfoolery across the military career. And as, as I moved into my business, a ton about patience, a, a ton about uh, letting the play unfold, uh, deal with adversity, deal with extraordinarily difficult personalities, even though they can build great programs. They also can be really tough to, to work with, like Mike was. Uh, but all the great things that we learned at the Naval Academy on around discipline, waking up at 4.30 a.m. to get your workout in, uh, uh, continuing that even through my business career now, where you know working out is just a key part of our ethos. I encourage my teams to exercise a lot. Uh, I think it really is what, what just, uh, uh, leads me to, to have some measure of success in business. I think the, the most important thing, and that I've really been gathered now in my mid mid forties, is that it's that competition of just absolutely doing everything you can to win. And if sometimes you know you really have to uh, focus on those end goals and drive yourselves and your teams to win, because ultimately, as, as especially as we're learning today, uh, a winner takes all, and, and you got to uh, have that focus on winning. And I think just that athletic uh, experience certainly has, has helped ground that for me. I'd want to add to just the fact that I wouldn't be in the Navy if it wasn't for water polo. Right. And so uh, when you look back on the fact that, that uh, Mike Schofield saw some talent in uh, both myself and Steve and recruited us from California, I mean, that's the Mecca from recruiting. I think the, the 
if you look at the 90s, we were about 80% of the team. Now it's it's gotten to be a little bit of, of a smaller, there's more East Coast players and more kids coming in from different places. But I wouldn't have left California to go to, to Annapolis and I wouldn't be sitting here in Italy today if it wasn't for the fact that the water polo brought me in. But the fact that the Naval Academy, um, you know, when I showed up, I wasn't necessarily exactly sure of what was going to happen. And then, uh, you know, come induction day, uh, it, I learned real quick what the what life at the Naval Academy was going to be like. And and either I was too stubborn to quit or it was absolutely something that was going to just forge me from day one till 26 years later. So I, I absolutely love that question, John, about the physical mission, because I think it's at our core. And that's a common thread with athletes that you'll talk to, whether they're in the football uh, sphere or into some of these sports that some might call, call obscure, but are still very competitive. Mike Scope is one of the most competitive people I've ever been around in my life. And a lot of people have strong opinions about him, but I think he, I think he really harnessed his competitive edge and imparted that to all of us in sometimes mysterious ways. Yeah. You know, I would, I would just add one point, Jason, we say that Mecca is California. We mean Southern California is the water polo Mecca. Uh, obviously, Northern California is, might as well be like Minnesota. Yeah, so to, to that point, um, my roommate, so if you guys are old, I'm really old. Um, so my roommate, I was class of 82, Rhett Rasmussen, Orange County boy, was the president of the water polo club. What year did the program become a varsity sport you guys remember and was that associated with the building of the Lejeune Natatorium uh, and what other things had to be in place before that was going to be a viable um, varsity sports program? Water polo has existed at the academy going back into the, the 30s. I mean they've had a water polo club if you will uh, for, for many many years. Uh, water polo became a varsity sport in the 80s. Uh, SCO started um, in, I think, around the 1982 timeline. That's, I think, I think when he first came in, he, he coached for 29 years. So I, I, can, I can tell you from, you know, what, what Jason was saying about Mike Schofield, that we Schofields are, are not known for our uh, pleasant bedside manner. And, uh, and I can absolutely echo the fact that he's, uh, he remains incredibly competitive. Uh, I see him every year as we run the Annapolis 10-miler. And I still cannot beat him, despite the fact I think uh, he was part of the original coaching staff for water polo in the 1930s, as Jason said. So um, I, I would ask uh, Stevie um, and, and Jason, for that matter, what do you think the future is of the sport? Uh, something that we want to talk to Coach Nicolau about uh, when he comes on right after the break. Uh, how, how do you view the sport uh, going forward? Um, and, and how can it remain relevant in terms of its popularity? Like what, what are the, uh, like prep programs, like, uh, club programs, how can it be, you know, how can it remain relevant as a sport and successful at the academies? Yeah. I mean, just to start with, you talk about, uh, amazing dynamic players. So the best player in the U S in my opinion, I think took uh, modeled his game after me actually is Johnny Hooper. Uh, plays for Team USA, amazing Cal water polo player, national champion, super fast in the water, gets out of the uh, the water with huge legs, very quick. I honestly think that Isaac Salinas, who is from Chester County, Pennsylvania, current top player at Navy, is that similar type of dynamic, fast-moving play, uh, I think. So what that shows me is that the, the sport continues to grow beyond 
California. Tons of excitement around the country. And uh, I see the sport continuing to grow. And, and with a coach like Louie, uh, had the greatest game I ever witnessed when he scored seven goals in the 1991 NCAA tournament against UCSB. Uh, has led the team, you know, really turned the team around into a great spot. I just see a tremendous future. The other thing to add, I think that when you look at it in the context of the academy, right, and 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 AAA, is that I mean, the Navy water polo wins. And uh, when you look at these sports that that uh, bring wins to Chet's overall. Uh, you know, accomplishment uh, each year. I mean, that's a huge thing. And that was a big thing for Schofield when I was playing there. And it's remained a big thing. And I know Louis, I don't put any words in his mouth and would really love to have him. But I mean, that to me is a really big thing. And when you build a program around a bunch of people that are really interested in being together, I mean, my, my friends from the academy aren't my roommates. They're my teammates. The guys that I stay in touch with today aren't the guys that I, I stayed with in the hall. They were the guys I played. I played with, and so that bond to me um, is it, is way stronger. And I, I know that there's people that you could talk to that that went to the academy, didn't play sports, that could find other things that they found really compelling. But the team that we were on at the time that I was there was a was a family, and we're still we're still tight. And I think that's something that I'm really looking forward to to Louis reinstilling in that spot uh, as the head coach. Awesome point, Jason. So let's uh, let's hear from uh, Coach Nicolau on that right now. Um, I'll introduce uh, Coach Nicolau. He is a Naval Academy class of 1992. Uh, he joined uh, the Navy program back as the head coach in January of 2018. Um, and uh, huge note here, he was uh, a 2020 Collegiate Water Polo Association Hall of Fame inductee. Uh, the first for an active head coach and player. Uh, he was a standout at Navy uh, before Navy. Um, he was an assistant coach at, at the Naval Academy and then the Princeton head coach for both men's and women, women's water polo for 20 seasons. Uh, coach Nicolau, thanks so much for joining the program. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me, John. It's uh, some unique times right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I'll, I'll introduce Bill Wagner, uh, who, who just wrote a, a great story about you in the Annapolis Capitol. Uh, Wags, why don't you tell us a little bit about that, and then over to you for some questions. Well, admittedly, uh, you know, it's somewhat unfortunate that football, basketball, men's lacrosse, women's lacrosse to some extent, tend to dominate my time of covering Navy athletics, and I wish that I had more time to cover the Olympic sports. And, you know, I try my best to write features when necessary. And I, I told Louie when we were talking, if you've got a special water polo like one of the Salada brothers, let me know and I'll get out there and do a feature. And that's what we try to do our best and then, you know, cover certain games, matches that are important. But uh, admittedly, I've not had as much a a interaction with the water polo program as I would like. Um, and, you know, writing that story about Louie was just so fun for me, getting to know Louie and his background, calling Schofield to talk to Schofield about Louie, and they had a dual relationship. Uh, Schofield was Louie's coach, but then he was his rival when Louie was at Princeton, and I learned more about water polo in those two telephone conversations than I ever knew before, um, and I'm fascinated, and it's really got me pumped to do some more water polo coverage. I'm looking forward I'm praying that the event where Louie's going to be officially 
recognized as a Hall of Famer. These uh, Navy is hosting a major tournament. Louis can fill us in. I think it's a some sort of regional tournament, and that is when Louis is going to be officially recognized as a Hall of Famer. But uh, Louis, congratulations to you. And yeah, why don't you let us know, you know, a when you are supposed to be recognized, and what's your thoughts about whether we'll be playing water polo at that time. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Bill. You know, that article, is, thank you. You did a great job on it. People have really had some nice things to say about it. Um, so thank you on that. You know, I'm hoping it's, it's <laughs> we're divided into different conferences and we're the Mid-Atlantic Conference and we hope we host this year the championship the weekend before Thanksgiving. But like everybody, we have no idea what to expect moving forward. Um, you know, we're waiting to hear about Notre Dame Navy football and I think that would be kind of the first shoe to fall. You know, what happens with the football season? And then we're waiting to hear really from the Patriot League, the Ivy League, our Olympic sports going to play this fall. Um, I'm hoping we have some kind of season, but you know, every day the news is changing and there's just no way to know what to expect. As I, as I sit here, I don't feel highly optimistic about Olympic sports this fall. I think um, I just found out today that the Plebes will have no sports period during Plebe summer. So that's a shocker, you know. So when you, when you hear that, you know, they're going to be on the yard for six weeks and we probably won't see them at all. Uh, that's a first. So um, I think we got to wait on football and then go from there, really. Well, Louie, I pray that that's not the case because the Olympic sports are so important to the Naval Academy and the entire experience for a midshipman. Um, I'll ask one more question before I turn it to some of the other guys. I was just looking in the – Navy media guide, and Jason was correct. First varsity season for Navy water polo was 1982. And as I look through the history of Navy water polo, I'm seeing 19 wins, 21 wins, eight, it, always up in the uh, upper teens. Well, we had a dip there for a couple years where losing records, and we don't need to go into what happened between Schofield and your arrival, but you got them back to winning record, but I, I have a sense that there's more work to be done. So, Louis, you know, in your opinion, what needs to be done to get Navy water polo back to the level of which we're accustomed? Sure. I mean, great question. When I first started at Princeton, what, 22 years ago, I remember telling my guys my first day of practice, we are nothing until we can play with Navy. Navy was always the powerhouse on the East Coast. Did they win every year? Of course not. You know, it's hard to win, but you always had to get through the academy to win a championship in water polo. We had that little dip, and um, I think it's pretty simple. For, for us, it's, it's all about recruiting and having fun. I mean, what's the key to having fun? Winning. You, you, you have to win to have fun. And when I was my last few years at Princeton watching the mids on the pool deck in the water, you could see in their face they were not having a good time. And, of course, that resulted in losing – and it just kind of snowballed from there. So for us, it's just a matter of, you know, we have so much to offer here. The Academy has so much to offer. And with Tom and I both being graduates and Tom, you know, being a Navy 20-year captain, retired, me not having that kind of career, obviously, in the Navy, have a lot to talk about what it's like to go to the Academy. What can we offer you in terms of graduation, education? Listen, I'm the only one right now that can get in front of a junior in high school, mom and dad, and tell them without breaking NCAA rules, I can guarantee you a job in five years. You come to the academy and you have a job and you're not going to move back into mommy and daddy's basement ever again. You know, and not many college coaches can say that. So 
just like for me, I mean, I was a a divorced family, didn't know much about the Navy, grew up in South America. When you walk onto the yard, it's hard not to fall in love. Um, So that's the hard part for us right now in the recruiting process as these juniors, whether you're a recruit or not a recruit, none of these kids are getting to visit these college campuses. So a lot of these kids are going to make decisions sight unseen. So right now we're working on a virtual video to send to our recruits to show them what the academy is, looks like, but even that's difficult. And so what we're trying to do is through the recruiting process, and you see with football and other successful sports in the yard, it's hard not to be able to sell the academy. It has so much to offer. And that's just our job, me and Tommy, is to get out there and tell these kids, you know, the service is not sacred, not a, you know, it's not giving up five years of your life. It's, it's a five-year master's. It's a five-year. If you decide not to not to continue the Navy career, you can pretty much pick your profession, pick your job after serving your country for five years. So we're turning around. The recruits we got are great. The interest is amazing. We're drawing great kids. Um, I like to joke, you know, there's one thing successful coaches have in common, and that's talent. You know, let's see how Coach Bilicek does without Tom Brady. You know, talent talent helps a lot. And so um, I've had a lot of talent at Princeton. Mike had a lot of talent at Navy, and now my goal is to get some more, you know, high-level players here. Uh, you weren't on the line yet when I was mentioning that my roommate at the academy, and I graduated 10 years before you did, um, was the president of the water polo club, right? R- R- Rasmussen was the goalie. Yep. Um, and so that was my prism into the world of water polo. Um, and, and obviously he was very involved, and I got to watch him play and, and uh, just amazing stuff. We've been asking all the coaches we've been talking to on the show um, how the COVID-19 pandemic uh, is affecting recruiting, your ability to communicate with the players. You just mentioned uh, the plebe summer circumstance, which uh, is seems to be a pretty big impact in terms of the ability to start to socialize uh, future water polo teammates in, in some sort of meaningful way during plebe summer. You know, you, you talked about your concerns vis-a-vis whether or not the football team is going to have their opener. Um, and, and it sounds like you're a little bit uh, sort of pessimistic that this season is going to happen. But uh, so what's the path forward? What, what are your workarounds? What, what are you thinking? You know, it's so hard. I mean, right now, you know, juniors, because the recruiting process is sped up when you and I are in college, that we're recruiting juniors. And so a lot of times juniors haven't taken a test, maybe have only been one year of RC sports, and they kind of get a chance to blossom this summer into their senior year of high school water polo, and nobody's playing. You know, so there's nobody playing any kind of sports out there right now. So as we look at these kids, you hope that you have a kid that maybe is a sophomore, was a starter, or got to play a lot. But a lot of it now is calling high school and club coaches saying, hey, tell me about Salada. You know, what, what's his potential, knowing that he may not have been playing for a year now. So it's, I think for all of us, it's really tricky because – We'd be on the road right now getting to see all these kids play high-level club games and competitions, and that's not happening. They're doing the best they can, but we may have a situation where there's no fall sports in the country for high school. You know, So you're going to be bringing kids on to a team that really haven't played in over a year. So I think for everybody, it sets us a new dynamic and unprecedented in terms of what we see in here you know, until you can guarantee some kind of vaccine or a flu shot, I have a feeling that we're going to see a lot of high schools and districts not have sports this fall. So for us, 
what's going off, what we have seen. And really all my recruiting is always based on a kid's interest. You know, those kids that really wanted to go to Princeton or now Navy tend to rise to the top of the pyramid the quickest. And from there, it's trying to figure out which four or five can really help us. And you're looking at size and speed and where, the, where they come from. A lot of it's just the, the, the pipeline. You know the certain kids are getting coached well at the high school level, that they're going to keep getting better. Um, so it's, you know, you've probably heard it a million times. The world, it's crazy right now. In terms of sports recruiting, it's all on kind of hold. I'd like to jump in, Louie, and just mention one thing that I have noticed, uh, just even through this, not not only since you have taken over, but also just in the COVID-19 uh, crisis with your existing team, which I think is something we should focus on and the guys that you get return, uh, returning uh, to the academy at the end of the summer, is how great these kids have been uh, promoting what they're actually doing when they disaggregated from the from the academy and went home. They're doing all these social social media things that are they're training, which I think when you look back at had I been sent home at, at halfway through my my junior year or sophomore year, I don't think I would have kept training. I kind of am worried about what I probably would have been doing. But these guys, they're they're such an interesting group of kids. You had 10 Naval Academy water polo players in the 2019 Association of Collegiate Water Polo Coaches, all academic teams. I, I we had some smart guys when I was playing, but I, not ten. And uh, I just I just like you to talk a little bit about these guys coming back. I know your captain Bobby Lee, a great Foothill alumni. We're super excited to see him play. Salinas, talk to us a little bit about your team, uh, and and let's let's think positive here. That, that if you get this team re reaggregated, uh, what what do we have going on? I don't know if I'd be accepted today. These kids are so smart. I'm I'm actually getting ready to put a tweet out. I think I have four guys that got straight A's all year. And I have six straight A's this second semester. You're talking that guy that failed a class every year. Okay, you know, I failed chem, I failed physics, I failed double E. Summer school is my home. You know, so when I, you know, when I hear about these guys getting straight A's for the whole freaking year, I got one play, Peter Hillen, that validated 13 classes and got straight A's. He's a freshman play taken soft, you know, youngster classes, junior class, second class classes, and still got straight A's. And I asked him why he validated 13 classes. He told me he didn't want to be bored. And I just looked at him like, who are you? You know, <laughs> I would have taken the easiest classes I could just to get through this place. I often joke, I majored in graduation. That was it. Um, you know, as far as this season, yeah, we were, this is just such a huge bummer. We, we came to the end of last year. We, we, every month we got better. And here we are in our, find ourselves in the semifinals last year against Bucknell, who was arguably the best team in the East, and they went on to prove that. And we're up by two in the fourth quarter. And we, and we had no business being in that game. And you mentioned Isaac Salinas. Isaac scored all five of our goals. Um, if somebody else maybe had scored one or two goals, we would have won the game. But we returned practically the whole team. And you throw in a freshman class that arguably is one of the best in the country, I think, not to play this fall would be just a huge, huge disappointment. Uh, I think Isaac could have a breakout year in second class. Bobby Lee, you mentioned. Peter Hillen, you know, we're, we're great in the goal. And Max Sandberg from uh, Newport Beach. We got a lot of pieces. So, um, you know, as I sit here, I try to, I try to think much about it. I, I get depressed. I get depressed at the thought of no plea summer practices. And, you know, I'm sitting here, you know, we had to do a uh, – schedule for our fall training and 
our California trip just got canceled. I don't know what's going to happen. I certainly don't want to depress you, but I want to continue on. Give me some thoughts also about, um, you know, you and I kind of grew up around the the powerhouse uh, collegiate teams on the West Coast, both, uh, you know, Cal, Stanford, USC, UCLA. What about the the emergence of these East Coast teams? Uh, Obviously, Princeton and Bucknell, Navy's always been strong. Then there's a whole host of these other teams that are really jumping to the plate that you and I never never dealt with before. Um, provided that things do normalize, is the East Coast uh, a force to be contended with when it comes to East versus West water polo? I, mean, I hope so. You know, you're always going to have the Stanford, UCLA, Cal. Those are always the big four. But I think the reality is these kids have just gotten smarter. And you look at the educations that are available to these kids through the Princeton, the Harvards, and the Bucknells, and kids are kind of spreading out. And, um, and then you have the influx that you and I didn't have of the international kid. And a lot of these schools are now drawing one or two international kids. When I say kids, they're usually 20-year-old freshmen um, that are men by the time they graduate uh, that have really impacted college sports, especially our sport, water polo. Yeah, I've always felt that Navy was the one school that could actually break into that top four. The fact that we have this controlled environment, we have our own pool, we don't play women's water polo, I can coach them year-round. You know, I always felt that we had the chance, and Navy's been close in the past, kind of knock on the door. I had one team at Princeton that took UCLA in overtime in the Final Four. I feel like, yeah, if we get the right, you know, right guys in there, we could do that. We could definitely do that. But there's much more. You're right. The balance is incredible. You look at the top 20, and you and I are mids. You know, you maybe have a Brown in there or a Slippery Rock. Now you have five or six East Coast teams in the top 20, sometimes seven or eight, because there is much great parity. And I think a lot has to do with the education these kids can get and the ability to, to leave, you know, California. I know. I know it's a tough time, but uh, we're really happy to have you at the helm of the team. And you, you know you have the support of not just me, but the alumni that, that uh, all played. Jason, thank you so much for, number one, it, it is great seeing you. I've, I've always uh, loved to call you um, a, uh, a friend and a fellow PAO, and, uh, and I'm glad that you're looking uh, healthy and happy in Italy. And, and, I, and I appreciate the uh, uh, patience of, of our listening audiences. We're piping people in from Italy, Louis from his garage. We're on Zoom. It's like, it's like mass hysteria out there. So. Um, so hey, it's, John. it's a little, it's a little bit wild. Yes, sir. You yeah, want to go talk ahead, about a, a Navy success story? Well, look at that, Captain Salada. Come on here. I mean, this is like, this is not make believe here. You told me twenty some years ago that we'd be looking at maybe a future admiral sitting there. You know, wow, pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Really proud of he's, you. He's he's uh, Schofield trained coach, I and mean, no. that's just uh, that, no that, that's a recipe for success, as we all know. No I'll doubt. actually ask one last question of you, Coach. Uh, you know, and, and again, we appreciate Captain Salata taking some time. I think it's like probably almost 10 p.m. in, in Italy, maybe after that. I, I don't know my time zones very well. But um, a question for you know, it, maybe the, the uneducated about how difficult water polo is. Uh, it is an incredibly hard sport. How, how often do your players at Navy or how often historically have players from Navy gone on to, you know, like Navy Special Warfare, SEALs, uh, communities that are, are really, you know, driven by good swimming skills? Do you think that water polo, if, if one of the kids out there listening to this podcast really wants to be a SEAL, is water polo something that you've seen 
has has made people uh, better and and possibly more successful getting through bugs? Yeah, I'll start and I'll let Jason finish. Uh, for sure, we have a great history in the teams through Navy Water Polo. We have some guys right now that are senior officers in uh, in the teams that are doing really well, and you know we have a. I'd say about five to six guys right now on the, on the water polo team that are going to probably be Navy SEALs when they get through buds and all that kind of stuff. And we got recruits that are asking about it. And I think it's something we got to promote. Um, it's a huge advantage for these guys that are swimmers, water polo players uh, to do well in, in, in the teams. And I know Jason's been involved with the teams and has seen it probably firsthand, but there's no question that there's, there's, a, there's a history in the pipeline with Navy water polo and the SEAL team community. Yeah, I mean, I, I can only add that the SEAL teams are full of water polo players, not just from Navy, but uh, from all over. And even the recruiting demographics, um, having spent a considerable amount of time working at the headquarters there, they, uh, they target uh, water polo teams, water polo players. It's just something about them that are do really well when they go through the basic underwater demolition school training. But yeah, it's, it's definitely, and it's not just that, um, all of us, any, like you said, John, uh, water affiliated things, any special operations force. I mean, so the army and, you know, different places, guys, guys are, are, are really interested in difficult athletics in college to make them that much stronger to get into difficult career fields in the military. It's, it's a, it's a crucible. Um, and it's, it's pretty interesting sport for that. Yeah. I'm sorry, Jason, I have two guys, one, two from Princeton, one right now just got rolled back for injury at Bud's. And one just graduated is going through the process to uh, go CS and trying to become a SEAL. So it's uh, it's definitely a, a pipeline for water polo in, in that community. And you don't even have to be a great water polo player to be a great SEAL. Just to, yeah. I mean, there's there's some guys out there that would probably uh, be able to understand what I mean by that. Thanks, Jason. And I think we all know that, uh, you know, in terms of toughness and community, it goes public affairs, number one, SEALs, number two, and then <laughs> probably being an F-14 Rio, number three. So yeah. um, I, being that I just made that dig at the F-14 Rio, uh, Ward, I'll, I'll throw it to you for any last question. No, I think this was a great exchange. I think we've captured every element. Uh, thanks very much, guys. Fantastic. Awesome. Coach Nicolau, Jason Salata. Um, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the standard of excellence at, at water polo is, is obvious with, uh, with what you guys have done and what you guys keep doing. So thank you again for, uh, for joining us today and, and coach Jason, both of you, good luck in uh, navigating the rest of the pandemic. Ward, Ward, awesome. West, you guys, uh, Chris and John, this is really, what you're doing is just fantastic for, for, for the Naval Academy, for the sports program. So just thanks so much. All right, that was Coach uh, Louis Nicolau, um, and many thanks to him, many thanks to Jason Salata, and many, many thanks to his, uh, to his brother Stevie. I thought it was a great uh, conversation. We will go to break, and when we return, we will have our athlete segment. We'll be joined by women's track and field star Chelsea Edwards. You're listening to Sing Second Sports. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest, Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at WeSingSecond. That's at WeSingSecond. Now back to the pod.
All right, we're back. Uh, awesome last segment uh, on water polo again. Thanks to the coach and, and the Saladas for joining us. Uh, so our weekly athlete segment, we are joined by Chelsea Edwards. Uh, in her two and a half years in women's track and field, she has helped uh, the Navy women's team claim four Patriot League championships, the indoor in 2019 and 20, the outdoor in 2018 and 19, while earning three stars, one for indoor and two for outdoor during the annual Army-Navy Star Meet, which is part of the overall star series presented by USAA. She is a six-time Patriot League champion and a nine-time All-Patriot League performer. They are looking to her uh, this coming season uh, uh, to be one of the senior leaders. Uh, Chelsea, thank you so much for joining Sing Second Sports. How are you? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. The weather is amazing out here in Texas, so everything's been pretty good so far. Awesome. I'll I'll start it off kind of light um, by asking you. So you're obviously a a, a world class athlete and and a, a great member of of the Naval Academy family. Um, but you know, I I do have to wonder, you know, between you and your brother uh, Kane, who is the more athletic? I would have to argue that I am. Uh, we have always gone back and forth about this. Uh, and I, I've just always been very competitive with him. My family's just a very competitive family. So I'll never let him win in this in this battle. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Chelsea's brother, Kane, uh, was a 2019 graduate of uh, the Army West Point basketball program. So Chelsea, I have to ask you, when when he was playing Navy twice a year uh, as a member of the Army basketball team, were you rooting for Navy or were you rooting for Army? I would have to say I was rooting for Navy for sure. Uh, I always loved watching him play, but whenever it came to the Army-Navy games, I, could, I couldn't root for him. I apologize for that, but... When it comes to family, uh, Navy family, the Army-Navy game, Navy family comes first. So, Good answer and a good choice. So, Chelsea, we've been asking all this, the midshipmen guests how their quarantine unfolded. When did you realize that you guys weren't coming back from spring break? How have you been coping? How are you keeping in touch with everybody Uh what what's going on in terms of your dealing with the COVID-19 situation? So actually, when we first found out that uh, we weren't going back, we were on our spring break training trip in San Diego. So before that, of course, like we got a huge brief telling us where COVID was most prominent. And the entire track team was actually pretty like astounded by the whole situation because we were going to San Diego and it was such a big, big deal over there. So halfway through uh, spring break, we found out that all of the seasons were canceled. We were pretty disappointed and we ended up just, you know, we tried to keep training until we basically found out that season was canceled. Our meets were canceled. Everything was canceled. So basically we tried to, you know, we, we try to stay in touch. Um, we have been doing like our own like uh, weight regimen to stay in shape, keep keep up with our sports and, you know, just be able to keep, uh, keep training for the next season. Chelsea, I'll jump in on me. I saw that you all were out in San Diego in that meet and I think you were part of a winning relay or something. And then I thought the schedule showed you competing in a meet the following weekend, but maybe not because of spring break, but 
no matter how it turned out. But the meets that really matter, you know, the Patriot League, uh, the IC4A, I mean, can you talk about those are what you peak for. That's what you prime for. The whole season is about those championship meets at the end. Uh, can you kind of talk about losing those? And then, you know, secondary to that, you're a junior, so you at mm-hmm. least will have another chance both indoor and outdoor. But I imagine you have some friends on the team that are seniors who are just devastated. Right. I, I couldn't necessarily speak on behalf of the senior class. I know that they've been working. We've just been working super hard as a team. So when we found out that they weren't going to be able to compete in we first had the Army Navy meet that we were preparing for about probably two weeks after um, our San Diego trip. So when we found out about that, um, we we're pretty disappointed because some of us really wanted to PR, especially our seniors, uh, Kara Kukasik in the 800. She wanted to PR so bad. So when we found out that the season was definitely canceled, it, it was honestly pretty pretty disappointing. But in in light of that, we won our indoor army navy we won our uh patriots indoor as well so we knew that although they didn't weren't able to compete in the other meets we we knew how like the performance was very well overall we were able to finish out the season pretty well even though it came to an unfortunate end but either way uh we yeah yes we were pretty disappointed about um patriot outdoor and Army, Navy, outdoor being canceled. Uh, but overall, we're just honestly just pr- really proud of our team and how far we've come. So back in Texas, are you doing anything to train? Or are you sprinting at all? And I know, you know, I mean, I, I imagine you've got to maintain a fitness level. You can't just stay off the track for four months and then, you know, let's pray that there's an indoor season. And whenever you come back, you got to you can't just show up in, at Naval, Naval Academy and start training again. Right. Uh, so recently I uh, reconnected with some of my Navy friends who are also in Texas. Luckily, there's a lot of people, uh, athletes are in Texas together. So I have been lifting at their houses. They have like indoor uh, lifting facilities or within like their garage. So I've been lifting there and our tracks have opened up near us at our high schools and stuff. They were closed at the beginning of covid but uh, recently they were opened back up. So I have been going there Monday, Wednesday, Friday, doing my sprints. And I've also been training on the distance side for uh, my summer training, le- uh, Leatherneck. So I have been able to keep my physical you know, wits about me, uh, especially because even though we are seeing that indoor may or may not happen, we still have to be physically ready. So. That's a, a great attitude, uh, Chelsea, and, and emblematic of, of um, you know, what Naval Academy Athletics is all about. Uh, I'll ask you kind of a facilities question. Um, you know, when I was teaching at the uh, Naval Academy back in the early 2000s, along with, uh, you know, our co-host Ward Carroll, uh, that's right when we were starting to build uh, Wesley Brown Fieldhouse. Um, how do you feel about like how great uh, the facilities are at the Naval Academy, the access to coaches, the access to resources, um, both academically and physically? Well, how influential were those in you choosing the Naval Academy uh, as a place to run? And, and how do you think they've helped you develop uh, since you've arrived at Annapolis? So when I was being recruited, I was being recruited for both the Naval Academy and West Point. I visited West Point at the 
first. So I went to their indoor facility and I noticed the, you know, very gloomy and just somber uh, facility. It's, if you haven't seen it, it's closed in. You, there's no lighting. There's only a light above you. Uh, and the track isn't banked. It's, it's just flat and, you know, it's just really a really tight track. So that was the first thing I noticed going into West Point facility. So comparing that to Wesley Brown, Wesby is probably one of the best facilities I've ever worked in. Uh, I've competed on a college station A&M track. It's an amazing facility, but Wesby also compares to that. Like their, that facility is amazing when it comes to like just overall the ambiance of it. It's just a beautiful, bright facility where the track is banked. So it's super fast track. We have amazing lifting coaches and that, that facility altogether is just astounding. I have, I haven't been this strong and been an athlete until this day because of it. I'll ask you one more question before I uh, kick it to Ward uh, to finish off. Um, so as you've gone through uh, your time, you, you, at the Naval Academy, you've been able to be informed by, you know, a, a bunch of career choices. Uh, so, you know, as you are are hitting the summer before your first year, what are you thinking of in terms of service assignment? Um, and, you know, how do you want to, uh, how do you want to serve uh, as you get closer to graduation? So my service assignment kind of has been everywhere. I'm from an Air Force town, so I definitely wanted to go naval aviation at first. Uh, but then I started meeting meeting a lot of mentors along the way to a lot of Marine Corps mentors along the way, and their personalities have definitely, uh, you know, we we're more uh, more cohesive when we were when we spoke and everything. Our communication was a lot better, uh, and I just really started enjoying that aspect. So. Leading into my first year, I've definitely uh, put, you know, core ground as my first preference, then Marine Air my second. Uh, so then I'll be going to Leatherneck for uh, training this this uh, summer, and hopefully that will even solidify it even more. But yeah, so my service assignment, I definitely want to go Marine Corps. So if you go to Leatherneck and you come out of it and you still want to go Marine ground, then you should definitely go Marine ground. Because uh, what I did the Marine Option Cruise as a first year out in Hawaii, and that convinced me to go aviation. Um, so that's the beauty of, plus I was from, a, my dad was a Marine Corps pilot, but I went naval Navy aviation for uh, a, a bunch of different reasons. But that's the beauty of the Naval Academy is as you've just really deftly described the mentorship piece, you know, we come in with one conception and then through our experiences and leadership good and otherwise, we, we sort of head in a way that ultimately suits us. So I, I think your logic is right on there. So we've chatted since we started the show, which is basically the COVID-19 environment, about the impacts to Pleep Summer, the impacts to, to summer training. The latest, I believe, is all the summer cruises are canceled. So normally you would do your first cruise, and now I mm -hmm. guess you're not going to. So what is your summer looking like? So my summer uh, right now is projected, everyone's taking summer school currently for about four to eight weeks, depending on your training. So currently I am doing summer school. My second block will be my leatherneck training. And then my third block is NAPS detail. Uh, we are still, there's still, it's still in the air, depending on what 
we are doing specifically for those uh, the Napsters and who and what exactly are we doing within those trainings. But Leatherneck is pretty solidified on whether we're going or not. Uh, and Naps detail is definitely solidified too. But they're just still contemplating what exactly we're going to do to fill the spaces, especially with like having to do our 14-day uh, quarantine beforehand. Well, good, good luck with that. Have you heard anything, any rumors uh, about uh, what first semester may or may not look like in terms of distance learning continuing? Or I know there's got to be some gouge floating around about that. Uh, there's so many things going on. You can't even, we don't know the truth, to be honest. Uh, we've heard that we're coming back. We heard we're not coming back. Then we're just assuming a lot of it is just assumption so far. We haven't had anything completely solid, but hopefully we're able to go back and experience this next semester. Well, we've been impressed by the spirit of all the current midshipmen and the recent grads in terms of your approaches to this circumstance. And, you know, um, it does our hearts good. And uh, we're very proud of the way you guys are approaching. As Scoff always says, it um, resilience is what sort of bleeds through everything else. So best of luck with those things. Uh, have fun, quote unquote, at Leatherneck. Um, and hopefully we'll see you here in Annapolis uh, very soon at Reform. Yeah, thank you. Many, many thanks to Chelsea Edwards for joining us. I know that I speak for uh, everyone here on the pod uh, when we hope that she can come back and add to the many decorations uh, she's already accrued as an athlete at the Naval Academy. So special thanks to Chelsea, and we wish her continued health and good luck uh, down there in Texas before she comes back to Annapolis. Uh, we're going to head to break, and when we return, we will wrap things up here on Sing Second Sports. If you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, please shoot us a DM at We Sing Second. That's at We Sing Second. There are a number of national and local sponsorships still available. Okay, we're back. Um, awesome pod today, uh, guys. I, I just thought the, the conversation with the Saladas and Coach Nicolau about water polo was great. Um, and, and Chelsea Edwards, you know, I, I continue, as you guys probably do, I continue to be impressed time and time again with each midshipman who appears on this show. Uh, their attitude, um, you know, they're, they're just raw enthusiasm. Uh, it makes me remember uh, what I used to be like uh, in my 20s before I became uh, incredibly cynical and uh, <laughs> five pant sizes bigger. So, so hey, uh, I'll, I'll kick it to you guys. Um, you know, the biggest thing that stood out to me is just getting that perspective from Coach Nicolau about what the future of sports looks like. I don't want to say that it's kind of a dark cloud. Here is we're coming off of the match between Tiger and Phil, and and the uh, you know the return of the PGA Tour in kind of a bastardized form. What, what is your gut telling you guys? You know, based on hearing from Coach Nicolau about what the future of sports will be, at least in the near term. Well, I think that the coaching staff wants to be sanguine about it, but it seems like the more they think about it, they are pessimistic about the idea that we're going to have a quote-unquote, normal fall. Um, and then, quite frankly, I don't know what changes in terms of the and, – and Coach Nicola said it, the, the, the you know, existence of a vaccine. So that gets us into late summer 21, right? 
Um, but to your point, every coach we've had on, just like every midshipman we've had on, just got such a fantastic attitude. And Coach Nikolai is a grad, which is an added element to my eye. I don't know how many wags. Do we know how many of the uh, the thirty? How many is it? Thirty three varsity sports. The coaches are uh, alums. Do we know what that stat looks like, roughly? I might have to go through it, um, but you know he's certainly one of the rare ones. I mean, it's it's not often that you have an alum as a coach. It may have been you know in earlier times more often, but I think during Chet Gladchuk's tenure as AD, he's not hired a lot of alums, to be quite honest. So Louis probably one of the few, I would say. And and so, boom, what is it that he can impart uh, to the members of his team? Uh, not to mention the yard at, at large. It's, it's just, it's it's amazing the things we uncover in what, at a, at a glance, are sort of the seemingly, uh, uh, you know, not the glamorous sports that that uh, that we have in our portfolio. So I was, uh, I enjoyed the heck out of that. And obviously Chelsea's attitude, as we said during the interview, all the mids we've talked to have just approached this with such an upbeat attitude. It blows me away. To your point, John, when I was a mid, I, I would have been complaining, um, I think, uh, and, uh, and not taking advantage of this downtime or whatever. So uh, the future is bright. We're in good hands, regardless of what's going to happen in the near term with respect to how we're dealing with this crisis. Um, and I think we had another great show. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tip my cap as we finish off to, to Wags on a very good point when we were talking about uh, the football transfers at the beginning, um, you know, that, that the, the true value of teammates, and you heard Jason Salata talk about it when we were talking about water polo, the, the value of having your teammates around, the, the bonds you form uh, on the athletic field, you know, it is a great validation of the physical mission at the Naval Academy. I, I can't tell you how many times I'd give a tour of the Naval Academy to someone and just keep hammering that point about that everyone participates in sports. If it's not one of the 33 D1s uh, or varsity sports, it, it, it's the club sports, um, you know, or it's intramurals. The, the value of those bonds that you form out there is huge. And, and I, I tip my cap to WAGS for something I really hadn't thought of that, that it's got to affect uh, the football team and probably other sports uh, in holding on to people before they, you know, before they sign their two for seven papers uh, to stay at the academy because it's, it's the bonds you form with your teammates and keep in person in Annapolis that I, that I think keeps it all strong. No question about that. And just addressing back to what Coach Nikolai was saying, I'm going to be the eternal optimist. And I guess I have to be because my job as a sports writer depends on Navy athletics being played in competition. So uh, I don't know what the fall season for all sports is going to look like, but I'm going to remain confident that it's going to happen. And the one thing I know for a fact is that college football carries the day. And if there isn't a college football season in some form or fashion in the fall, there's going to be complete devastation in the NCAA athletic world. And sports are going to be dropped left and right. And I don't think anybody wants that. So I'm going to remain confident that somehow the smarter minds than I will figure this out. Uh, Louie mentioned football and that being a real barometer. The reason is if there's no football revenue, Navy athletics probably can't afford to send the water polo team to that tournament wherever at Princeton and 
put them up in hotels and the whole. So he, I think he's talking about the costs of providing opportunities for the Olympic sports will not be there if football's not playing and bringing in the expected revenue. And then last but not least, closing out our pod, I think we should always make sure we correct things. Uh, Chris Cervello knows better than anyone that Scott Strasmeyer is like the nun at the Catholic school wrapping us on the knuckle with a ruler. And so I misspoke. Last pod, I said Navy had 32 sports. It's actually 33 because offshore sailing counts as two because there's a co-ed team in addition. And uh, it is not the most sports of any university. Apparently, Stanford is a football-playing school that has more sports. And then there's four Ivy League schools that field more sports than the Naval Academy, although not by much. I think they're at like 36. But uh, And I also misspoke when I said I think the University of Maryland has 12 varsity sports. That's not true. In order to be a Division I football full subdivision athletic department, you must have at least 16 varsity sports. But there's a lot of schools right now reducing to that very bare minimum of 16 because that's all they can afford. So thank you, Scott Strassmeyer, for keeping us straight. Well, and since we're on errata vis-a-vis Scott Strassmeyer, uh, I had wanted to do this last show, but he pointed out from however many shows ago that I had said that USC was a California state school. It is, it is not, right? USC is a private school. So I apologize, Scott, for misspeaking when I said that California state schools, including USC and UCLA, would not be having face-to-face classes in the fall. I want to personally thank uh, Scott and, and his uh, SID team for continuing to work with us to make athletes and coaches available um, it's just phenomenal access and, and not to be melodramatic about it, but I, I truly do walk away from each of these sessions, each of these pods with, with a better attitude uh, just because of, of what the coaches say, what, how the athletes are. Uh, it's just one of the, the gazillion things out there that's great about the Naval Academy. So uh, many, many thanks to Scott and his team uh, for the access. And uh, appreciate everyone's patience this week. We uh, we continue to deal with the pandemic uh, and the challenges that it poses to us in terms of technology. Instead of doing this pod in person and talking to people in person, uh, we continue continue to use the internet. And uh, and today, piping people in from all over the world, uh, particularly uh, Jason Salata from Italy, late at night. It proves challenging, but as always, many many thanks to our uh, intrepid producer Chris Cervello for. Uh, making everyone sound perfect. So uh, for Ward Carroll, who I hope comes to the pod next week with a better score than 83, for our special guest, Bill Wagner of the Capitol Gazette, who continues to write great things for the Capitol about Naval Academy sports. I am John Schofield. I will kick it to Ward for one last shot at the golf game, and then we will bid you adieu. Well, my pencil didn't have an eraser, so hopefully the next place we play... (laughs) It will, and I will definitely have better than 93. Oh, perfect. Okay. Well, hey, to everyone out there uh, listening, to the alums, to the current faculty, staff, and midshipmen, uh, and all Naval Academy fans, uh, thank you for listening to Sing Second Sports this week. So stay healthy, and we are out. The 
thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments.